Welcome to another episode, I am V, and this is The Sussex Set. Thank you guys for tuning in to episode 52. I hope everybody's doing well, staying healthy, taking care of your mental health, and just overall trying to keep a positive environment around you. Reminder, we have election day coming up very soon, uh, less than a week actually from the time of this recording, and make sure you get out there and vote. I know. I know you're tired of hearing people say that, but you got to do it. I hope, hopefully most of you guys that are hearing this have actually already voted. If you're in the United States or, um, an expat somewhere that you've already voted and mailed your ballots in on the note of mailing ballots in, it is too late to do that (laughs) at this particular point. So if you're able to vote in person, definitely please do that. Um, and you know, I, I had to take Tuesday off just to gather my thoughts because <laughs> I'm going to be glued to the TV just like everybody else or a lot of other people are. So um, if you follow me on Twitter and you see my anxious tweets and my <laughs> uh, just different things that I that I do tweet out, I've kind of been talking about how I'm a little bit anxious just because I don't want to fall for the old... Oh yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, of course we're going to win. Or of course, you know, Trump's not going to win like we did last year. Cause I was definitely not last year, four years ago. I was definitely that person four years ago. Um, no, I take nothing for granted. So I hope that, uh, you're not sending this one out because it's far too important to do that. And also make sure you're telling your loved ones to vote friends, family, neighbors, make sure you're telling them to vote. That's something that I think we often forget to do. We go out and we we vote and we say, Hey, our job is done, but it's not really done. (laughs) So make sure, uh, the people that are in your life know where to go to vote, um, that they have their plan to vote and that they know where they can go to actually cast their ballot. So as somebody said it, I think it was Joe Biden or somebody, somebody said something I was watching on CNN probably, but, uh, election day is actually when the election is over and the election is actually happening now. So, um, it's no mistake that there are record numbers of people who are voting. There are some places where there are more people that have voted already than actually voted by the end of the election of, uh, four years ago. So, People are taking it seriously, and on the one hand, that's really good to see. On the other hand, it makes me nervous because, unfortunately, the other side is doing everything they can to make sure people don't actually use their voices and their votes. So we have the obligation to make sure that we use ours. So please do that if you haven't. And also, did you know that archwell.com is dropped it's it's not really up and running yet. It's not fully revealed, but girl, they're going ahead and they, they're collecting them email addresses and saying, hey, go ahead and sign up, subscribe for updates and things like that, things of that nature. Um, <laughs> uh, definitely go to archwell.com and subscribe for up, updates if you haven't yet. Um, I don't know when the actual rollout is. I've always heard 2021 floated out there as the year that they're going to unveil everything just because of the pandemic this year. But 
who knows, girl, we could see it sooner rather than later. I mean, like we already got a little sneak peek and I'm loving it. Um, I love all the people posting the privacy policy on their website. Uh, not playing around, Harry and Meghan are not, neither is their team. Uh, letting you know up front, we will, we, we're going to gather your IP address, girl. And um, all the things, all the things. So just because you thought you could send hate DMs and hate messages and comments on Instagram, this is a little bit different over here. So um, we don't have all your data and try that over here if you want to. I love it. So, um, as long as the girls know, and you know, what's so fun. And what I love about their ignorance is that like the haters, the critics, ignorance, a lot of them anyway, they don't even realize that they're going to be tracked. They don't even realize that there's a way for someone to trace back exactly where they're from or, or, um, what they're using, probably your device even, um, if you, if you dare to send a threat, if you dare to actually harass and, uh, stalk them. So, you know, we love that. We love that. We love the foresight and the thinking ahead. Um, I love the scheme. I love the whole minimalist look of it so far of what we're seeing. And I love that we're seeing just a peak of it. You know, we, we, we keep hearing the name Archwell more and more as we see Harry and Megan do their virtual, um, engagements. And I like that step by step. They're just giving us what they, what they want to give us because we know they are very methodical. They plan and they have a whole vision for how they want it to roll out. And it's good to see the beginnings of that. So archwell.com subscribe for up updates. Even if you don't, if you're on Twitter, you're probably going to see every update anyway. So um, <laughs> definitely at least keep your, your, your eyes peeled for what's coming next, because I have a feeling it's going to be very beautiful. So did you catch the time 100 talks? It was amazing. Wasn't it? Like I knew we were going to get a lot of time, which I love because most of the things have been like, you know, 20 minutes here, 15 minutes there. Or if it's a part of a larger summit, we may get like 15 or 20 minutes of Megan. But we, we got nearly two hours and boy, were the homegirls pleased. We loved it. Um, and what I also love is that more and more, especially with these major things that they're doing, like with time, we're seeing Archwell mentioned a lot more. Uh, and especially with this particular talk where they're talking about the the health of the digital space and, you know, the responsibility that we all have on social media platforms and with our own platforms, we're, we're seeing Archwell mentioned in that context. And they're more frequently hitting on the things that they care about and the causes that they're going to champion. And we know it's something that they both care very deeply about. But what I also love is that this is a new area that no one in the royal family seems to have talked about before, at least to not this extent. And it's something that's completely new for all of them. 
And truthfully, I only say this because as soon as we see them copy and paste Harry and Meghan on this particular topic, then, you know, we'll just have more evidence that that's all they intended to do ever is just to copy Harry and Meghan because this is a brand new topic that you haven't even broached and all of a sudden you quote unquote care about it, even though you didn't before. But anyway, this is something that Harry and Meghan have both felt the negative impacts of most recently. And in a way that nobody else has, nobody else in the royal family has had to go through what the two of them have in the digital space, specifically so. And Harry and Meghan have seen just how much people love to target them and harass them. And the toxicity of online platforms, particularly social media uh, and those platforms, they can set up a very dangerous environment. And then that leaves the online platform and then it takes root in real life. You know, so the fact that they're talking about it to the extent that they're talking about it, because they're not only reaching a wide range of experts in this area, in the field, but they're also talking about it at depth. We saw a writer and researcher, you know, Stanford University professor. We saw a founder of social media, uh, an entire social media platform and read it with Alexis Ohanian. Oh, and by the way, do you remember when Harry and Meghan were still in Canada, supposedly, and they took a trip to Stanford University? That that had to have been like maybe or close to a year ago. I bet they were talking to Tristan Harris about just different things, you know. <laughs> I think at that time it was revealed that it was in relation to Archwell, but these are people who plan far in advance, you know, and like I said, we're starting to see the rollout. We're starting to see how everything that they've been planning and researching and um, gathering expertise on is starting to come together. And then here we see Tristan Harris at the Time 100 Talks giving his expertise to now a wider audience on this very, um, very large platform of Time Magazine. And from the Time 100 talks, I noticed that Megan's talk with Alexis Ohanian, uh, a couple of points that she made definitely uh, hit the rounds of the news cycle, particularly where she stated that uh, both she and Alexis have experienced being in an interracial marriage and having biracial or mixed race children. I love that she hasn't shied away from that. You know, and, and to be honest, she never has. Like, it's not something that she's just recently decided, you know, just being on the receiving end of a whole bunch of racism, which we know she has been in the last couple of years. It's not something she's just decided to um, to see herself as, as, as a woman of color. Like, that's not new for her. I'm not saying she's Angela Davis. Not saying that. I don't really expect her to be anyone other than who she is. But that's not new for her. She's, she's not decided to now see herself as a woman of color as a reaction to how she was treated, you know? And so for the girls who say, Oh, well, you know, she's practically white. I know you guys have seen a lot of those comments. Oh, well, you know, um, why do so many black people, black women support Megan? Like she doesn't even want to be black. Well, I call her a black woman because I'm American, you know, and historically if you're even partial black, you're kind of black. You're black. All right. 
not literally, but you know, cause real, really racism is just a construct or race itself is just a construct, but, um, we saw how they treated her. Right. And so that's my view, but I don't have a problem with Megan seeing herself as biracial because that's literally what she is. She's never said that she was a white woman. She's never tried to be a white woman. And well, you know, I think when people say, oh, well, you know, she's basically, she's practically white. Well, then what are, what are your ideas of black then? Like, cause what are you really saying? Like, what do you think black women are supposed to be like? She's practically white. Well, like, oh my God. Anyway, sorry to go down that tangent, but it's so annoying. It's so annoying. And you know, what's so funny. It's not just white people who say that. It's a lot of black people who say that too, because if you noticed, and I'm going to get into this just a tiny bit, but, uh, the shade room did a post about Harry and his conversation with Patrick Hutchinson and a lot of the comments, mostly people who follow the shade room, they're probably African-American. Um, Oh, well she, she, she not even really black though. Is she, you kept seeing that comment over and over and it's so annoying. Like, evolve people can you really just evolve like can you actually listen to what the man said just evolve if the woman's biracial let her see herself as biracial because that's what she is just because i call her black you know um and which by the way i don't believe that's the same as saying oh well she's practically white because even the people who say that she's practically white particularly the ones who have tried to make her life a living hell in the last couple of years. You don't treat her like you would a white woman. You treat her like you would like a super dark skinned black woman who is your worst nightmare of what, what black is supposed to be. And she's simply biracial. So can we please let Meghan Markle live? But what I loved about the fact that she mentioned that to Alexis Ohanian is that She's making very clear she's not shying away from exactly who she is. Um, not necessarily to get a reaction out of anyone, but it simply is what it is. And the fact that she is a woman of color is not something that she is willing to ignore or willing to act as if it is not coming into play or has not come into play uh, with how she's she's been treated over the last couple of years. Whether she mentions that explicitly or not, we all saw what happened. We all saw it. And the fact that Harry didn't choose a woman who was white like him to marry, well, then that had implications for him as well. And he even mentioned it himself in his talk with uh, Patrick Hutchinson. Uh, he did an interview with GQ magazine, British GQ magazine, with Patrick Hutchinson, who you may remember as the man, the hero, who actually saved the life or at least um, prevented a person from being be beaten up <laughs> worse than they actually were uh, at a Black Lives Matter protest in London. And the image went viral. That's one of the things that I love and hate about protests, especially when a moment like that happens, the image kind of goes everywhere. Uh, but I was really, I was so happy to learn his perspective of that moment where he's carrying the protester or the counter protester rather out of harm's way, because, you know, that's what people do. Sometimes they show up trying to start stuff and, 
knowing they really shouldn't be there, but they just causing a ruckus, but you know, that's their right to, but, um, yeah, you know, he found himself in a very dangerous situation and here comes Patrick Hutchinson. He put the guy over his shoulder and it was a very, um, incredible image that kind of went around the world very quickly. Um, many protest pictures are some of them, even Pulitzer prize winning, uh, photographs, um, kind of come out of those volatile moments. And I remember at the time that it happened thinking, Oh, right. Well, here we go. Cause let me tell y'all something first and foremost, I'm a little on the militant side. I'm not going to lie about it. I used to try to be, you know, middle of the road and things of that nature. Uh, and then Trump got elected. So not to say one can't be diplomatic when one needs to be, but girl, that ain't me. But, uh, cause you know, <laughs> sometimes diplomacy gets you nowhere. When you, when you in a debate with a thug, then sometimes you gotta be thuggish. Like somebody said, you know, when, when they go low, dig a damn subway <laughs> or whatever, you know, uh, cause going high sometimes don't work, but, Patrick Hutchinson is a man who is evolved and he went high. But what I was going to say was I remember seeing that in that image and thinking, you know, why do black people always got to bail white people out? They bullshit. You know, we sometimes get tired of being the magical Negro, you know, and if you know what that means, you know what it means. If you don't, don't worry about it. Google it, girl. Um, but, you know, it seems like, you know, Caucasian culture always needs that magical Negro that they can lean on. And ultimately, that person ends up being their savior. And it's a little exhausting, you know. And I sort of remember thinking <laughs> along those terms, not the most optimistic way to view that image. It was a it was an uplifting image. I'm, I'm not going to lie, you know, Um but wasn't the the biggest fan of it, but I understood it. I understood it even at the time. And, you know, I definitely didn't knock Patrick Hutchinson for that. Um, because God knows he, you know, was in the right place at the right time. But then to listen to the interview of, uh, or the conversation rather with him and Harry, and then he gives his own perspective about, uh, why he showed up there and, you know, what he did and why he did what he did. Ultimately he's trying to, he mentioned trying to prevent young people that were there from doing something that they may later regret. And now we do know about mob mentality. It doesn't matter what color you are, what your background is. When you get in a part of a, a, a group of people and they're sort of angry, one thing kind of leads to another. And before you know it, y'all setting shit on fire, you know, or, things are just on fire and you're just all a part of the chaos and you're kind of loving it. I mean, I, I went to a lot of protests in New York. Ne things never really got that out of hand, but it could have very easily gotten, you know, uh, that way. And so this guy and his, he said his, uh, other friends, he and his, a lot of other guys that showed up just to kind of prevent young people from actually taking it there. And when you're angry and you're seeing some of the things that have happened and you witness some of the things that may happen, yes, even in London, police can be very racist. 
uh, and you're kind of fed up with it. And then you got the whole right wing movement that's really just happening everywhere. And this fucking guy, he decides to show up and just cause drama where there doesn't need to be. Well, then they start whooping the guy. They start beating him up. And then here comes Patrick Hutchinson trying to prevent them from actually um, perhaps ultimately either taking a life or very badly wounding someone. And that was commendable. So now when I see the image, I see this person who has a lot of forethought. You know, he showed up with a purpose and it just so happens that he fulfilled that purpose in the moment where not just the guy that he's carrying, but the people who might have critically wounded him uh, are sort of saved from that. So it was so good to, to hear that conversation and then to also hear Harry talk about how implicit bias or unconscious bias, that's a term that we've sort of come across a lot really in the last, I would say about five or so years. Um, I first heard that term on a podcast, but how that has really big impacts on people. Um, ways that you don't even consider. And it's, it's a very new conversation that people are having in a way that actually resonates with the average person. And when people like Prince Harry have this conversation, that is huge because most times I've only ever heard people who are researchers or data collectors or maybe like, for example, medical professionals talking about that. Um, I listened to a podcast about how there's unconscious bias in the medical field and how, you know, especially in America, because although it's everywhere, I'm sure. But they talked about it in terms of black women, particularly going to the hospital to have their children and how the mortality rate is so much more uh, deadly for for black women or women of color, but especially black women, but also just general medical outcomes in the hospital uh, or just on appointments. And then that whole podcast got, I'll try to find it and put it in the description, but that whole podcast got into how black people don't even like to go to the doctor for that reason in part, you know, because they are not believed or their pain is not taken as seriously as a white person's pain. And so they're sent home with Tylenol as opposed to like painkillers or, or what have you. Uh, one of the most jarring things that kind of reached mass public consciousness was when Serena Williams talked about how, and Beyonce actually, but speaking of Alexis Ohanian, she talked about how when she went into labor with her daughter and she has known very, she's, she's no, she knows her body very well as a tennis player, but then also one year she had cut her foot and she had a pulmonary embolism and she almost died actually. Uh, this is a couple of years before she actually even had Olympia, but when she was having Olympia, she was having a very hard time breathing. And this is Serena Williams now. And she was trying to get the attention of the medical staff and was saying, Hey, you know, something's going on. This is what I need. A, B, and C. She knows all of the medical terms for all the medications and things. And they were just not hearing it. They were not hearing it. And she basically had to demand. And then from there, once she got what she needed, things became, you know, 
they were able to kind of truly assess what was happening in her body. And uh, from there, she was able to deliver her daughter. Uh, but she said it was a fight and she literally almost died. And she had to demand that she be listened to in ways that a lot of other women just do not have to demand. And so unconscious biases have implications for people beyond just social media, beyond just interactions at the, you know, at the store or out and about in public. It can literally be life or death for a lot of people. Those people are usually people of color. It was good to see Harry be so vocal about the fact that he wasn't really paying attention or as he said, didn't realize what it was or didn't even know it existed in in the bubble that he was in until he married a woman of color, until he got to see firsthand, probably before he married a woman of color. Because I feel like Harry actually saw this firsthand as soon as Meghan became a target of the British, uh, British media, which was shortly after those Invictus games where they basically debuted their relationship. And you may recall Harry released a statement uh, out of Kensington Palace saying, hey, lighten up. Uh, Y'all are basically being real racist right now to my girlfriend. She's just trying to live her life. Stop calling her exotic, et cetera, et cetera. You remember that? That was so unprecedented. I remember I remember it made such news around the world, especially over here in America, because she's American. Um so I believe Harry began to sort of feel it then, but boy did he really feel it after they got married and then after he became a, a dad. Because I mean, how can you not when someone calls your your brand new baby a chimpanzee? How can you not feel that? Um, and, and the fact that the British media kind of ratcheted up their their bias against Megan, um, there's no way he could not look at that. And um, I'm sure, especially now with the protests and the conversation that so many people are having with after the Black Lives Matter protests and all of that, it's good for him to, to, to learn and to be honest about the fact that it is a growth process. I respect that. I absolutely respect that. It was honestly a wonderful conversation and I, I respect Harry for wading into these waters, which are brand new to him. They are new. They are new. They're new to any member of the royal family because nobody has experienced what Harry has experienced. But you know what? If anybody was to experience and uh, and actually learn and grow and actually impart something that someone can actually learn from as well, then it is going to be Harry. And the tragedy of this to me is that not only did Harry perceive the unconscious biases of the press, which... They're not really that unconscious, you know, they seem pretty deliberate to me in a lot of ways, but what probably hit more close to home for Harry was the unconscious biases that lie in his family. And that's a hard one to swallow. It really is. Um, But they were there on display for everyone to see, especially Harry and Harry knows his family closer than are better than most people 
you know, he knows his brother, he knows his father. He knows how people are supposed to be treated. He knows how his ex-girlfriends were treated. And then he got to see how his wife was treated uh, and regarded in this same context. So he doesn't have to say it, you know, and I know I'm having, I'm taking a little liberty here, but I believe what I believe. And no wonder (laughs) Harry and Will are not as close and that that relationship seems to be uh, beyond repair. And I'm going to get into that in a minute, but you damn right is beyond repair when you when you treat a person's wife that way, especially based on um, nothing other than the fact that she's, well, I would say nothing other than, but the fact that she's not white and you know there's a difference between uh, how his white ladies were um, treated and how his his black wife, non, non-white woman of color wife was treated. Um, I love that they're being so honest about their experiences. And for Harry in particular, I love that he's connecting with a lot of organizations that really have their finger on the pulse, uh, especially when it comes to black lives and, and where they fit in in this current conversation. Uh, we saw it with Rashad for color of change and we see it with the uh, the young African or black leaders in uh, Britain who they've handpicked and selected and we see it with the Commonwealth Queens Commonwealth Trust conversations that they've been having and it's something that he's jumped headfirst into and I really appreciate because again you kind of don't have to. I mean, I, it, I really, at this point, it kind of would be a bigger risk to not. But it's not something he has to even think about. Because, again, in a way, he's living it, you know. And I've said it on this podcast before. When you're dating or you're married to someone who's in a, of a different race than you, um, especially if your spouse is black and you don't see, or you don't notice a difference in um, how you're regarded versus how they're regarded in certain situations or you you don't listen to them or you you completely uh ignore what they're going through then you're not a good partner you're not a good partner uh if you're worth your salt you do what you can to grow and to learn and to listen and i think he's doing that but the thing about it that makes it so impressive for me is that he's doing it in in public he's doing it on a world stage he's not just some like c-lister d-lister whatever He's Prince Harry. <laughs> There's literally only one Prince Harry. He's the world's favorite prince. He's England's favorite prince. So he's he's having this conversation that's so important to so many people because he's also living it. But I love that he's sharing what he's learning because it allows other people to do the same thing who might not otherwise be motivated to learn and grow. And just as a side note, I went to the YouTube pages for both the Time 100 talks as well as the the British GQ talk or conversation with Patrick Hutchinson. And if you look at all the videos, the Harry and Meghan videos, they just outperform. They just outperform. And, you know, you gotta love the Sussex squads, you know, um... 
because you know we 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 really do make things happen and they just really outperform the other videos on the platform and no disrespect to the other time talks and the other british you know gq conversations i'm sure they're all really important and they talk about some important things but harry and megan they bring in those numbers you know I'm going to post a couple pictures of those actual, like the differences there, but it, it's really incredible girl. And, and it's like, they are the winning team. They really are. And that was by far time's most successful time 100 talk and Megan's relationship with time. It really goes back a couple of years from when she was a one young world ambassador and she went to India and she wrote about, uh, you know, girls access to education and also uh, feminine products, because a lot of times that will get into get in the way of a girl having a chance to be educated. And it's good to see that relationship continue, you know, but you know, you can bank on Megan and Harry because honey, the track record don't lie and don't lie. Uh, so that was, that was, that was really good to see. And I knew it was going to be a success. So kudos to all of you who made sure that it was. And switching gears, you know, maybe the fact that they are so successful is what causes folks in the media to think that Harry and Meghan should continue to be their punching bag. Not that it's right, but it seems like they just want to punch at Harry and Meghan every day. Just because. For example, and this is something I actually didn't get the chance to talk about in the last podcast. The picture of Harry with a photoshopped bloodshot eye. Wow. Like, and I say Photoshop because I believe it was Photoshop. If if you didn't know or you, you missed it somehow, um, and I first saw it where Pagan posted it on Twitter, Chris Ship actually posted a photo of Harry, the Time 100 photo with him and Megan, Megan sitting down in the chair, the same one that the guy was like, spot the difference. And he posted a picture of Wallace Simpson and Edward. Well, in this picture that Chris ship posted, which stays up, stayed up there for days. Uh, Harry's eye was basically bloodshot, you know, as if a blood vessel had popped in his eye and under the pictures, under the comments of Chris ship's original tweet, people were saying, Oh, well, you know, Oh, they must be fighting or domestic violence. And <laughs> basically as if like Megan is punching Harry's lights out for fun. I mean, these people don't believe this bull crap, but they post it in hopes that some gullible soul will come along and actually see it and believe it. But Chris ship didn't delete the picture until he caught heat for it. And enough people basically got into his mentions and say, Hey, you're, you're basically a dog, no offense to dogs, but you're, you're basically a thug for posting this picture, knowing full well that the completed picture looks nothing like this. And then he goes on later to like post a, a an actual video, like a screen recorded video of him doing it and then pressing the image, what he call image enhancing function. And then saying, see, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. But like, how are you dumb? Because are you, 
Because how do you not see the difference between the picture you post? Like, I, I don't know about y'all, but like, I always look over what I post. Sometimes I post stuff that has typos and I leave it up there. Other times, if I feel like it just don't look right, I'm going I'm to delete it. I'm not even a blue check. I'm not even a blue check. How do you call yourself a journalist and then you deliberately, or at least what should be seen as deliberately posted something that was untrue, whether it's in word form or image form? You saw the actual photograph put out by the publication itself and it didn't look like the one you posted. And you did nothing until people put your feet to the fire. Now I see why people call him Chris shit. Because he's a snake is what he is. He's a snake. And then he goes on, he goes to play victim and say, oh, well, you know, I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. But okay, okay, girl. But this is the larger issue for me is really what's been happening the whole time that Megan has been in the royal family. You know, you print a lie and then you print the apology later. You know, or you post the apology later. By that time, the lie is already gone. You know, the lie already got wings. She's flying, you know. Um, you know, it's the same with the picture where Archie's birthday. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was uh, Christmas, actually. So almost a year ago, we saw a picture of Archie in the camera and Harry and Megan were in the background and uh, Megan's friend took the picture and somebody posted a picture just based on the perspective because Archie was the closest to the lens. Anyone in the background had a blurry face. Well, somebody posted a photoshopped image of Megan's face crystal clear and Harry's is still blurry and Archie's looks the same. As if to say, oh, Megan thinks everything is about her. This picture, which is supposed to be a Christmas card, which was a video, by the way, it wasn't even a picture. Um, oh, well, basically, well, she wants to be in the limelight all the time even above her son and that wasn't the case at all someone photoshopped it but guess what the daily mail ran with it and they posted it in their publication the photoshop version and then you had people who were on instagram like actual publications posting the photoshopped version that made the rounds because it had been duplicated so many times that I think when people just rush to try to put the picture up because they want to post it you know on their platform they don't even think to actually inspect the photo or even to find the original source that they just posted it and people had to go in the comments and say hey you know what this is actually the wrong picture this is not the one that they released this is something that somebody photoshopped just to make Megan look bad and then there was the picture of Harry and Megan in the SUV after the Mountbatten Festival of Music and that was earlier this year as a part of their farewell tour uh you may remember Harry and Megan both wore red Harry had on his his formal military outfit you know uniform and Megan had the red dress with the cape and, you know, when they left, of course, they're going to be flashing lights, a lot of cameras, whatnot. Megan was looking at something and they ran with that story. I still believe her face was photoshopped and they they tried to make it out as if she was somehow bickering at Harry after they left this place or something. What? What? But you, you run the lie, you know, because you can get away with it. 
And y'all know this was their plan all along, right? And I'm talking about the media. You could even throw the family in there, you know, because they're collaborators. They're complicit. Uh, Well, you know what? I won't even say complicit because complicit is a little bit too nice. They're active participants. But I, I feel like this is something that was in the works from even before Megan even walked down the aisle, before they got married and said, you know, they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to basically pick her apart. It's going to do the death by thousand cuts method where, you know, they just tell a lie. Then they tell another lie and they tell the lie so fast that people can't even keep up. And then they're going to do everything they can, which they did. And they're still doing to try to turn people against them, particularly people in England. Because if you notice, they've been over here for quite some time. Americans don't really do all that. We don't do all that because we got hey, we got other things to worry about, but our media is just not set up that way. We don't have the kind of faith. We don't put the the stock in the tabloids the same way that the British people seem to do. But what they did was that British media, they basically, you know, ran lie after lie to methodically turn people against Harry and Meghan, try to make them out to be something that they're not when all they're doing is what any red-blooded, individual would do in their particular circumstance is to preserve their dignity and their grace and privacy which they have the right to do any any right that you have to do but the media somehow is wanting to convince folks that they don't have the right to do that you know who doesn't have the right to do it the people that y'all are actually paying for they don't have the right well technically they kind of do but at the same time you complained about paying for Harry and Meghan's renovations at Frogmore Cottage. They're not the ones building million dollar driveways and $15,000 or 15,000 pound hedges and sitting here preaching to y'all about global warming while they flying around in a helicopter. Cause that's what they're not doing, you know, but the hypocrisy of it all, it gets ignored when you throw bigotry and hatred into the mix, because then you can ignore your hypocrisy and say, well, you know, Oh, well, you know, it's just something about her. It's just something about them we just don't like because, you know, it's just things are so different now. And the British media are like right in the middle of that. And if there's ever a moment where they have to print a retraction or make a correction, it's like one paragraph and or it's not even something that is in the same article. It's like later or if, if it's online, for example, they'll put like a little asterisk at the bottom. Ain't nobody gonna see that. How about just not telling the lie in the first place? You know what I mean? So it's it's been the design. It's been the plan from the beginning. But what they didn't plan on was Harry and Meghan bouncing. They didn't plan on that. And so that, to me, explains why they're still so mad. They're still so mad, even though they said that they should leave. And even though they said that, oh, well, you know, if you don't want to be here, then go back where you came from and get out of the royal family and stop using our tax dollars. Okay, Harry Meghan literally did all of those things. And you're still, you know, using them as a punching bag. Why? Because you're angry and you're bitter. You're upset. And that's the only way that Harry and Meghan can go from being this couple that everybody adores and roots for to now this couple that half the people in the country hate in their country or his country at least hate 
or despise, you know, how else are you doing that without the help of the British media? You're not because the Royal family can't actually come out and say what their true feelings are. They have to use their tool, which is the British media. So I mean, and we know what, what their motivations are. Harry and Meghan were more popular than them. They still are actually don't get it twisted, but, uh, they're just not there to show you, but they, they didn't like that Harry and Meghan just by default were the stars of the royal family. So they had their methods and they used those tools. Harry and Meghan's popularity in England and the difference of their popularity between the time they got married and now, it's not because of anything they did. They've done nothing different from what's been done before them. There is a precedent for their exit. They're just taking their power back in an age where people can loudly approve and disapprove. That's really the only difference. But much like Diana, Harry is the punching bag, he and Meghan, in the same way that Diana was a punching bag when she left the royal family. I mean, look at the slander that just happened regarding his communication with the royal marines. Someone a respected individual said that Harry has not been in contact with them since he left and moved to LA. Again, false, one. But then secondly, again, it's the Daily Mail putting these stories out because they have an axe to grind, especially with Megan, but they also have one with Harry. They're like the ringleaders in this bullying fiasco. So this man spoke to the mail on Sunday, the same paper that Megan is suing and his name is major general Julian Thompson. And what he said was, I'm not going to give him a lecture, but he has to take the job seriously and not just say, well, I'm still the captain general and I'm going to live in Los Angeles and never visit the UK. It's wrong. You can't do that. He is expected to attend events and be around and be as accessible as his grandfather was, end quote. Girl, hey, first of all, didn't they take Harry's military titles away from him? Secondly, by the time this man retired, I think Harry was like two or three years old. When he actually retired, Harry was a little boy. You know, so Philip was still the uh, captain general. And... Ultimately, it ended up being passed down to Harry. But like the lies you tell. And so Harry sent a legal warning to the mail on Sunday saying, A, this is unsubstantiated. And B, I have been in contact with the people that matter. Just because this person hasn't heard from me doesn't mean anything. Because I don't talk to him anyway. But the mail on Sunday basically suggested that Harry had snubbed a man called Lord Dennett who's a former chief of the general staff. And supposedly this man wrote Harry a letter and Harry never responded to the letter. And Harry's basically saying, Hey, I never got a letter, but let me look into this a little bit more just in case someone actually did send a letter. But what you're not going to do is sit here and lie on my name, you know? And that's the thing about a, a publication like the daily mail. They can always find a few flunkies, to jump in right because they probably they probably pay uh and these individuals get to get their name in the paper you know uh 
And that's something that has always sort of worked against Harry and Meghan because there's always someone who's looking for just that little bit of um, adrenaline that you get from having some kind of notoriety, even if it's fleeting as this. And this person is basically lying on Harry. It's completely unsubstantiated. And Harry has to, which we know at this point, they're not afraid to get some lawyers involved. Harry has to call up his lawyers and say, hey, let me let you girls know something. Because what we're not going to do is uh, tell lies just because you feel like being a bully today and every day. The British media is well known for being the least trusted news source in the world. Like when it comes to Western media specifically, the British media is well known for being a bunch of bullies and bastards. Nobody trusts them. Nobody takes what they say as truth. It's always up for debate whether or not it's uh, actually trustworthy or not. And if you look at the latest developments out of the BBC the supposed most credible news source in England, then you can understand why. They just established new policies and procedures for their employees that heavily censor what they say and do on their own Twitter, like their own personal Twitter and in their own personal lives, saying, for example, they face disciplinary action if they are spotted at LGBTQ events. Like, how asinine is that? Now, that's neither here nor there, but it's an example of how British media has lost its ever-loving mind. And the BBC, by the way, is the same network that's responsible for that skit where Megan, the caricature of Megan, is threatening to knife Kate. So don't get it twisted. They're bullies too. But the British media continue to tell lie after lie on the same people they called irrelevant just last week. Do you see it? And they can't go one week without using Harry and Meghan's name for clicks because they need Harry and Meghan's name to survive at this point. It's desperation levels right now. Like, didn't Kate do a whole project just this week or last week? isn't will going on about how he's gonna end global warming or something like that like they're the relevant ones right go talk about them but you don't see the daily mail and the express and all these other uh tabloids talking about the future futures because no one gives a damn about what they're doing not at any point does anyone give a damn about what they're doing So this seems desperate on the part of the British media, and it seems like people are pointing out the obvious, which is that the same forces that help drive them out are the ones that are bullying them now. Well, at least the ones that are attempting to bully them, because it must be stated that it doesn't have the same effect that it would have the Sussexes remained in England. And that's probably, like, that's the ironic thing. That's probably why they're so like hell-bent on using Harry and Meghan as a punching bag because to an extent Harry and Meghan are removed from it like it's not in their faces and there's no reason for them to come across it because they're so busy with the things that they are actually building but that doesn't excuse the fact that it is completely inhumane 
and unnecessary for them to do what they're doing, trying to just further tear Harry and Meghan down, trying to cast a shadow on everything that they know that they're about to do. And I mean, straight up, it's cowardly. It's cowardly. It's cheap. It's tacky. But again, it's also very desperate. But get this, we often talk about the British media. But what about the fact that the royal family is actually still in it? Like they're still in the thick of it. They're still very much complicit with what we're seeing in the British media today. Like, according to Robert Lacey, the man who wrote this new book about the brothers and um, the battle between them and, and, and so on and so forth, he said that there's evidence of an ongoing campaign at the palace to discredit Harry and Meghan with courtiers speaking negatively about them to the press. Surprise, surprise. And then there's also a quote from someone who was supposedly close to Harry saying, it does seem to be the case that there's still some people trying to make the Duke's life difficult. And in some cases, just take a pop at him end quote yeah we can see that we can see that again bitterness resentment uh delusion people who think they own the boy um you just can't help yourself you can't help yourself for being so miserable that you can't do anything but think about him and every time you think about him you think about megan and the fact that she has him now uh and you thought he belonged to you so first of all, we know the courtiers are broke and they would slob on a knob if it meant that there was more money on the other side of it. But I also believe that the royalists are very much like the MAGA thugs over here. They repeatedly act against their own interests and they take pleasure in licking the boots of those who look down on them. And they know that they are looked down upon. And I have always thought that what happens in your house, and it doesn't matter whether it's a palace or a cottage, it comes with your permission and your complicity. And if you can't control the people that work for you for making your brother's life a living hell, then you essentially have signed off on it. And all this talk of them needing to bake up is only so the monarchy survives. They are like vampires the monarchy they don't care about your well-being they just want your blood they are a bunch of blood suckers and when harry was just the court jester he was their lovable prince but when he got serious about his own life they took offense and they painted a target on his back that target is the same one they're aiming for today and have you noticed there seems to be a lot of talk about the brothers needing to make up and how critical it is for them to make up for the monarchy or else it's bad news for everyone in the royal family? Well, I've referenced Lacey's words in the last episode, but now Ingrid Seward has taken it to another level saying, I rather doubt that they will ever get back to how they used to be. I really don't think so. I think that's probably a broken relationship. I think perhaps if something happened to Catherine or Megan, the boys would be together again. But as long as their ladies are there and their families are there, 
If there's an awful tragedy, it will bring them together. But otherwise, I don't think that relationship will be mended. But that is a really personal point of view. And I might not be right. End quote. No, you're not right. Well, first of all, the onus is not on Harry for that relationship to be mended. But secondly, like, how disgusting are you? How disgusting, like how disgusting a notion to even say such a thing as if tragedy is the only way for them to actually mend their relationship. That is dangerous and it's weird. And it's truly creepy that these words are spoken, but it's more telling because they truly believe it. Like Ingrid truly believes what she said. And this is where I say this is so much like the movie Get Out. Like I'm, I'm, I'm glad Megan actually got out because there, there are people who have been plotting on her demise since they realized Harry was serious about her as a wife. It's disgusting. It's sickening. Like those words don't even do justice to what this is. And do you know what's even more disturbing is the fact that there is a precedent for it. You know, I tweeted something saying, you know, no wonder people think something other than what actually was reported about Princess Diana's death actually happened to her. When you see people talking about things like this, like in an unironic way, um, But what's more disturbing is the fact that Diana's death is the precedent for this. Because what happened was when she died, Prince Charles's coverage in the media changed. It changed. And then at that point, he began to basically use his sons as, um, you know, ways for him to get goodwill in the press and in the tabloids. He used their mother's death as a way for him to finally get the positive headlines that Diana basically hogged from him from the time that they were married until the time that she died, you know? And so like these, these are people are, they're vultures, they're vultures. Like how dare you sit here and fantasize about the death? And you know what? Y'all already know I'm not the biggest fan of Kate Middleton, but one thing I don't do is like root for her demise. I don't root for anybody's demise, but like the fact that they're sitting here, like this person is basically sitting here saying, oh, well, you know, you're such a fucking royalist. You want them to get back together at any cost, like at anybody's expense. But we know that they they don't really root for Kate's demise, but we know whose demise they fucking root for. And this is, I'm sorry, this is where I, I kind of get upset because the fact that you would even speak that shit It shows us where your attentions have always been. Nobody is rooting for Kate's demise, but I know there are a lot of people who are rooting for Bangin's. I know she's the one who's gotten all the death threats. I know she's the one who you guys think don't belong. And with Diana being the ultimate, like the ultimate queen of hearts, the people's princess, the first people's princess. And then for her to have died the way she does, she, she died. It's kind of like, well, you know, Diana died, so Megan can die too. 
you know, we have a precedent for that. And at all costs, anything to get the brother back. Like, you people are disgusting to me. You should be ashamed. And let's look at the past two years and ask ourselves, how was Megan treated? And let's compare that with how Kate was treated. Who do you think they would rather the awful tragedy happen to? And Sussex Squad has been saying from the beginning that they're trying to end this woman. And shout out to Tina, because Tina's been saying that from the very beginning. Sussex Squad podcast, shout out to y'all ladies. Because y'all been saying that from the very beginning. They're trying to end this woman. And now Ingrid Seward has basically spoken it. Now she gave an example about Kate, but we know that that's not who they want this so-called awful tragedy to happen to so that Will and Harry can somehow be like joined at the hip again as if they were ever joined at the hip because I don't believe that they were ever as close as people like to believe. But what we know about folks who are royalists and monarchists is y'all are living in a fantasy. Y'all got things going on in your head that ain't actually playing out in real life. Y'all are married to this idea of these royals and y'all think y'all can just play with them like, you know, I don't know, toys or something. Now, granted, they're not perfect. They're not perfect. And, you know, I don't really know how English folks put up with them. But they're also still human beings. You don't own them. You know, and the fact that they're treating Harry and they're so angry at him, like they're angry because he was tired of your fucking bullying. You know, you don't own him. You don't own his person. You don't own his personhood. You don't get to decide what he does with his life. And you don't get to decide what his family does with their lives. I swear we've been saying this from the beginning and you know, it doesn't sound like a threat the way she puts it, but the mention of it at all is threatening enough. Now, mind you, Ingrid Seward is a woman who never forgave Harry for marrying a woman of color. That's for starters. She's gone on the record blaming Megan for the way she was treated and I mean blaming Megan for the way Megan was treated blaming Megan for the way Megan was bullied and targeted uh blaming Megan for the ineffectiveness of the royal family and really it was Harry who chose to take take a step backward to protect his own family but like thugs like Ingrid Seward are quick to blame other women for the behavior of men She's the type of woman who would ask, well, what was she wearing when a woman comes forward to recount her assault at the hands of a man? Ingrid Seward is a thug. And the fact that she's permitted and enabled to say such things about the wives of two princes, it says a lot. And as much as I can stand the rest of the royals, again, I do not root for their demise. That is animalistic and it is beneath me. But while we're on the topic, here's how you heal the relationship between William and Harry. Will has a come to Jesus moment. He realizes he's a prick and he decides to no longer be a prick. That's how you fix that relationship. Period, sis. 
And this whole obsession with Harry crawling back to England without his wife and without his child, it's abusive stalker behavior. That's fatal attraction, Glenn Close behavior. And by the way, how many ways are they going to beg Harry to come back to England? They've been writing the ending of Harry and Meghan's marriage in relationship before they got married. When they got married, got pregnant real quick and settled into parenthood and dipped, it's been, come back, Harry, we need you ever since in so many different ways. But they didn't think about the fact that they needed him while he was there. You know why? Because they thought he would be there forever. But it's been, if you love the military, then you would come back, Harry. If you love your country and you love your family, then you'll come back. We need you. What about your grandmother? She's old. Come back. Your dad had coronavirus. How dare you stay away? Please come back. Again, the likes of Ingrid Seward and Arthur Edwards saying, come back, we need you. And if you really care about Black Lives Matter here recently, if you really care about Black Lives Matter, then you'd come back to England and show that you're a proud black man. Please come back, girl. Weren't they just throwing a fit about Harry speaking the truth about British history and like British colonialism and the ever-present downsides of structural racism like weren't they just throwing a hissy fit and you know what harry's gonna come back to the uk when he sees fit he'll come back when he's ready when it is necessary for him to come back because y'all are treating the boy like he's the next in line like he's the one to take over the throne when the queen dies like y'all are gonna be left without a king shows you the lack of faith you have in the ones who are coming next doesn't it but don't worry Harry's gonna come back but never in the capacity that you want him to come back because y'all want a slave that's what you want not a man with a mind of his own y'all want that court jester back and they certainly don't want Megan back as a woman a woman of color with a mind of her own they want her to stay exactly where she is. Now, don't get me wrong. They were definitely salivating over Megan coming back, of, you know, when they thought that she was going to be testifying in that trial, which, as we know, is pushed back nine months back, you know, into the autumn of 2021. But they were salivating over that. They were salivating over that. Any, any opportunity for them to either bully her or, you know, use her name for clicks, they, they, they love like they want that and they're mad about that they're mad about the fact that she won that at least uh the postponement of her trial but they want harry back permanently they want him back permanently not her not her and that's that's like the most sickening thing about what these two people have gone through and their strategy of late has been to make him feel bad or guilty you know uh, make him feel guilty like he's wronged them or something and that he needs their forgiveness as opposed to the other way around which is actually fact 
like he's the bad guy and they're the victims. Well, Harry hasn't even forgiven them for what they did to his mother. In life and in death, they think they'll get him to come back to England after what they did to Diana and his wife and his child and to him. They really must be on them basalts. Like the Miami brand, the Albuquerque brand, the Broadway Brooklyn JMZ brand. So in conclusion, Harry wouldn't be a man if he didn't protect his family emotionally, physically, psychologically, and financially, both in the short term and the long term. Harry is not Charles. Charles is the one who didn't protect Diana. For example, she'd be here today if he had demanded that the mother of his children, the mother of the future king of England, be protected at all costs, no matter where she went. Now, people may say, well, she didn't want protection. And that's logical for Diana to feel that way because she never felt protected in the first place. But that standard was never set. Not from what I can tell, and definitely not set by her husband because he was too busy sniffing behind Camilla. But the point is, Harry is different. And they knew this from the beginning. And they really resent him for it. You know, Harry may as well be Simba out here because it's like the kingdom can't go on without Harry. You know, it reminds me of that song, Keys of the Kingdom. Oh, you are the remedy. Don't know what's inside. You're the keys to the kingdom. You're the key to the kingdom. Oh, so believe. Even if you can't see, I never leave. Cause you're the key to the kingdom. You're the key to the kingdom. <laughs> Because the girls really just don't know how they're going to go on. But I hope they figure it out because Harry's got things planned with Netflix and he ain't concerned about y'all. And with that, that is pretty much all I have for today. You can find your girl on Instagram at Sussexet. And you know you can find me on Twitter somewhere over the rainbow. Skies are blue. Yes, you can find me there. If you know, you know. It is what it is. It's not a big deal. I only got like 100 followers. It's crazy. But they my loyal ones, though. You know. And so I'm there. Um, I may drop it in the description. But listen. Y'all be well, take care of yourselves, try not to freak out the way that I'm freaking out about this election. I won't be satisfied until it is called and the tangerine is back in Mar-a-Lago, girl. But, you know, I'm not going to worry about that today. Take care of yourselves, take care of your families, and try to stay positive in as much as you can, girl. Because really, at the end of the day, that's all you can do. And so until next time, peace.
Peace. I'm a bad bitch. You can't kill me. Kill me.